Well, good morning. I want to begin with a question that's going to serve as sort of a bookend uh, for uh, the message this morning. And, and the question is hopefully a question that we can answer in the affirmative as believers in Christ. But can a person really, truly change? Can a person see substantial, lasting change in their lives and their attitudes, their behaviors, their 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 thoughts, their actions? Can a person really change? You know, I, I love bookstores. I, I like to read. I always have. And so if I get to a Barnes and Noble or some other bookstore, um, I tend to spend quite a bit of time there. I'll browse around the aisles and I gravitate towards certain sections. Uh, the, the fiction section, I like classic fiction. Mysteries, I like mysteries. Historical nonfiction, I was a history major. I love reading you know, history sometimes is just so fascinating to read the stories of people and lives and, and important events. Um, I also um, like to um, dig into biographies uh, about people. And, and then once in a while, I'll, I'll wander over into the travel section because I kind of have wanderlust. You know, you, I like to think about all the places that I could visit and go and plan and dream and so on and so forth. One section that I don't spend much time at all, if ever, in is the, the self-help self-improvement section. You know, the section where you'll see all sorts of titles, how to stop doing this, how to start doing this, how to become a, a mental giant or, you know, things like that. You know, there's all sorts of books that want to show you how to improve your marriage, your relationships, your work, your how to achieve your goals and so on and become self-actualized and so on and so forth. Um, Making people over, uh, self-help, self-improvement is a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar industry uh, in our country. But we're talking about this morning a, a little bit different change. It's not just changing our, our external actions. We're talking about a, a change of heart. Okay, As believers in Christ, we're called to become more like Jesus. Make me over, Lord. Make me new. Make me a mirror, a reflection of you. We, we want to be simply this. The goal of the Christian life is this. We want to become people who trust and rely upon God, not upon ourselves. We want to become people through whom Christ lives each and every moment of each and every day, right? We want to become people whose hearts are broken by the things that break God's heart. In other words, we want to value the things that God values. We want to be people who have compassion for the poor, the oppressed, and the hurting in this world not just those across the street. We want to be people who reach out to others and, and, and point them to Jesus Christ. We want to be people who aren't afraid to live for Christ regardless of the consequences. We want to see that kind of change, or at least I hope we want that kind of change. But is that possible? Can that happen for people like you and me? This past week in our community Bible experience, the Bible experience, what we're doing is we're reading through the New Testament together as a church over a period of about seven or eight weeks. This past week, we read through first and second Corinthians and also Paul's letter to the Galatians and the first part of Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. And for the sermon today, we're going to be focusing on the passage that was read. Chapter seven in Romans, a chapter which so accurately describes what we so often feel and experience in this life, namely the frustration we have when we want to see substantial change, and yet we never make headway. Two steps forward, one step back. One step forward, two step back. So we look back over the past five or ten years, struggling with the same issues, the same challenges, don't just seem to have much victory or progress in those areas. 
You're probably familiar with the, the book, the classic book uh, by Robert Louis Stevenson, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, you've, maybe you've seen, read the book or maybe you've seen movies about it. And it's a, it's a story about a, a man who is a pillar of a community. He's Dr. Jekyll. He's a great man. Everybody looks up to him. He's a wonderful man. And yet there's this dark side that he has, this, this Mr. Hyde. And it's a constant struggle in this man during this course of this book or movie. The struggle between good and evil. The struggle of the, the natural man versus the, the spiritual man. Stevenson was once asked, where did you find the, the model for your character of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? He said this, quote, I found it in my own nature. I'm a Christian and have learned that there is indeed inside of every child of God a, a beast. Every saved person has a new nature and an old nature. And I find that there is always a struggle with a beast that lives within me. The Apostle Paul, the author of Romans, a, a church planter, pastor, teacher, preacher, theologian, missionary, also knew firsthand this struggle. The struggle it can be to, to change. The struggle to, to, to grow and to play to your, your better nature. Listen again to a couple of verses from Romans 7. For I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Does that resonate with you? I know it does, does with me. I mean, there have been many times over my life, still are, when I get so frustrated with myself because... Certain attitudes or actions or, or thoughts or, 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 or behaviors seem to keep popping up and I seem to keep struggling with them time and again. And I look back and I get frustrated thinking, you know, Doug, you should be farther down the road in this area. And you begin to wonder, is it ever going to change? Is it possible? The Bible tells us very emphatically that, yes, change is possible. Real change is possible. We don't have to live split lives, frustrated, defeated lives, unproductive lives for God. One minute, Dr. Jekyll, the next minute, Dr. Hyde, doing what we don't want to do and not doing what we know we want to do and should do. We can see growth. We can see change. Yes, of course, in this life, we will never completely move beyond the struggle to be tempted or or to sin. But we can see substantial, lasting change. A little bit later in Romans, Paul says this in chapters in chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. This is true worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. There's an awful lot we could talk about in those verses there. Um, how is our mind renewed? It's removed, obviously, through God's word, through prayer, uh, God's spirit working within us. But we're going to focus in on one central theme and idea. And that idea is this. We have to choose to be changed. Seems kind of apparent, maybe self-obvious, but we have to choose to be changed. Because those verses I just read give us a, a choice. We can either remain as we are, conform to the patterns of this world, or... 
we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That word, therefore, that Paul uses, it points back to everything that he's written so far in Romans. He's written a lot about God's saving work for us through Jesus Christ. Uh, And and he's bringing it to this point, and and he begins with this idea. He says, now, therefore, therefore, in view of all this, do this. You have a choice. Do not be conformed to the world anymore, but be transformed. And so up to this point, Paul has laid out the idea that we're all sinful. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And he goes on to tell us that, that God, through Christ, died for us and demonstrated his love for us. And he, he tells us that the Holy Spirit is sent to fill us and empower us and to change us into the people that we're created to be. He says, based on all of this and more, he says, therefore, we have a decision to make. We can continue to live small lives patterned after this world, frustrated and ineffective, Or we can be transformed and live the life God created us to live. He says change is possible, but it's not automatic. We have to choose to be changed. John Ortberg in his book, The Life You Always Wanted, has some fun with this word um, transformed. He he writes about, remember the the show back in, I think, the 90s or so? Um, the, The mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Maybe some of you might remember that. Um, and it was this, this story was there's this ensemble of ordinary teenagers and they are transformed into these, uh, morphed into these Kung Fu fighting superheroes and they fend off these alien dinosaur robot monster creatures that have come to threaten planet earth. And whenever danger was at hand, the power Rangers would get into position, get into formation and they'd cry. It's morphin time. And a lightning bolt would come down from heaven and they would be transformed on the spot. Now, believe it or not, this word morphin comes from the Bible right there in Romans 12 two. the word transformed in the English and the Greek languages is the word um, metamorpho, which from which we get the word metamorphosis. Morpho means to, ch- to shape or to form. Meta means to change. And so metamorphosis describes a change in formation from a caterpillar to a butterfly, classically speaking, or from a teenager to a a superhero, a, a power ranger. Now, if you've ever seen this show, it's goofy, it's low budget, badly written, badly acted, badly dubbed. But it was a hit. Why? Because kids dream of being strong, of being brave, of being good, of being transformed, of being something different than they are. Apply it to our own situations. What grown up doesn't dream of being more patient, more loving, more forgiving, more disciplined? As a Christ follower, more prayerful, more faithful, more bold, more Christ-like. We all want to be morphed into something new and better than we are. God has given us that, that yearning, that, that itch to be something that we're, that we're not yet. Paul is telling us that that's possible, okay? That we don't have to be stuck in the cycle of Romans 7, where we do what we don't want to do and don't do what we ought to do. Paul says we can be Morphed, we can be transformed. Now, the word transformed is only found two other places in the New Testament. The first place is uh, when in the Gospels, when Jesus goes up on a mountain with Peter, James and John, and it's called the Mount of Transfiguration, because in that moment, Jesus is up there and and the glory of God falls upon him in a, in a powerful way. And it says his clothes begin to shine like the sun and his clothes are dazzling white. 
And, and the disciples who are with him are just in awe. In fact, it says they don't want to leave. They said, let's build a tent. Let's stay here with you. Let's not leave this mountain. For just a second, they get a glimpse of, of God, of Christ, in all of his glory, not bound by any sort of human limitations. It's incredible. The second time that word transformed is used again by the Apostle Paul, this time in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We also read through this in our CBE experience this week, where he says this, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see what Paul is saying here? He's telling us that what happened to Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration is what God has in mind for his people, each one of us. That we too would be dramatically, emphatically, inwardly, deeply changed and transformed so that we radiate the glory of of God as surely as Christ did. You see, Christ-likeness is not just a possibility for an elite group of Christians who go above and beyond the call of duty. And Christ's commands are not some group of nearly impossible ideals that are unreachable or unachievable for the normal person. The good news is life in Christ, victory in Christ, Christ-like living is, is available and possible for those who truly desire it. We can be changed. It doesn't require any plastic surgery okay, or dieting or whatever. You know, I, I uh, get daily quotes or, uh, from C.S. Lewis on Twitter. And the quote today I thought was perfect. I I was reading this morning. He says this. What God does for us, God does in us. What God does for us, God does in us. What that means is that. Is that God will do the work in us. That God will change us. That God does not call us to do something or be something and then leave us frustrated not giving us the resources or the possibility of becoming that person, of, of being that person. That's not the kind of God God is. He will not call us to do something or be something without giving us the strength, the power, and the resources through his spirit to do it and to be it. The bad news, though, is so many of us, and again, I include myself at times, We settle for far less than that. We settle for what you could call sin management. What I mean by that is we learn to control um, certain behaviors. And we learn to do the things that Christians are supposed to do. But we're really not changed or transformed on the inside. And so we might learn not to use bad language, but we still think bad thoughts. We might put a reasonable amount of money in the offering plate, but we still spend the rest on ourselves without thinking about what God's priorities might be. Or maybe we sing and smile our way through church, but later in the day when we get home or in the store or, 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 or whatever, that critical spirit, the insecurities, the fears, the angry words, they come rushing back. We, we may read our Bible, but we don't take the time to really apply it and to our lives and to live like it. We try hard to be the people that Jesus calls us to be, but we never become people who want what Jesus wants if we persist in sin management. I don't want to settle for that. I don't think you do either. I want us to choose to be changed. 
which is a pretty simple idea, choose to be changed. But there's a couple of concepts I want to flesh out here. The first is that we cannot change ourselves. We have to be changed. Paul says, be transformed. It's in the passive voice. It's something that's done to us and for us. God does it for us. We have to choose to let God change us. Now, we can improve ourselves. That's true. We can lose weight. We can get in better shape. We can engage in positive thinking. We can take anger management classes. We can change our environment, not go certain places, not hang around with certain people. That's managing our sinful nature, but we can't overcome it without God's help, without God's transformation in our lives. That's why he ta- Paul talks about being transformed by the renewing of your minds. I just finished reading a book recently. Uh, it's called The God-Shaped Brain. It's by a psychiatrist well-known, nationally recognized, who's a Christian. And it's fascinating. There's not everything in there that I agree with, but there's a lot of it that I do. And, it, and it's interesting because he looks at brain chemistry and brain science. And, uh, you know, looks at the area of addiction and other attitudes and personalities and all sorts of things. Uh, and he says uh, that that the brain, they can study and see the brain chemistry changing in a person when they persist in certain behaviors uh, or, or actions or attitudes. And he talks about how the, there's a part of the brain, I believe it's called the amygdala, which more the flight response, the, the, remote, the emotions and all that. And then the prefrontal cortex, the more the reason and the logic and the rationality. And how when people persist in certain attitudes and behaviors, one part of that brain brain will grow. The other part begins to shrink a little bit. Synapses that used to fire are no longer fire. Synapses that grow and things like that. And so they can see that. But he did say the other thing is also through research is those things can be reversed through meditation, uh, through 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 change in attitudes, through God's word. Those synapses can grow again. And a person's mind is actually renewed. Through God's word, they, their minds are no longer conformed, but are transformed and, and they are renewed. And I just thought that's fantastic. It's, it's, it's fascinating to look at and to think about that God has designed us in such a way that his word not only gives us principles, but it can change and renew our, our brain, our, our attitudes, our, our minds. So anyhow, back to um, back to Paul. He says, in, in, again, in verse in, in chapter 12, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your act of spiritual worship. And he's calling for a decision. Present yourselves, your bodies, your your heart, your mind, your soul. Present everything you have to God. Dallas Willard, who's one of my favorite authors, he passed a couple of years ago, but he was one of the most well-read, well-respected uh, writers about spiritual formation, which is the idea of becoming more like Jesus Christ, being formed more into the likeness of Jesus. And he writes that for any true change to occur in a Christ follower's life, they need to have three things, a vision of who they can become. They have to have the intention to become that person, and they have to have the means to do so. Have a vision, have the intention, have the means. Now, I would say that we have the means. Hopefully we've established that we have the means through God's word. We have the means through um, the Holy Spirit uh, to to see change in our lives. We have the means. We have the power available to us to change. But where we often fail sometimes, myself included, is in the vision and the intention. We get frustrated with who we are, but we don't have a vision of who God wants us to be specifically. 
Maybe we're frustrated with a lack of self-discipline, but we don't have a, a clear vision of what it would look like if we were disciplined and, and for the purposes of God. Or maybe we have a vision about who we're supposed to be, but it's not God's vision. But God's vision for us, each one of us, is that we experience life, abundant life, joy, freedom, peace, love, fruitfulness, faithfulness. And what that looks like for each one of us is going to be a little bit different because we have different personalities, backgrounds, gifts and opportunities. But we are to have a vision for our lives that matches God's vision for us. We also have to have the intention. And that means that we are to begin to reorder our our priorities, our time, our focus. We can say, for example, that we want to be less maybe worried about money or materialism. But it doesn't do us any good if we continue to shop till we drop. Or we can say we want to be less lustful and more pure in our thoughts, but it doesn't do us any good if we continue to still glances in the hallways or still glances at certain websites. We have to have the intention to be changed by God. I happen to believe that God wants to do amazing things in and through each one of you and through our church. And I believe that he will. But those wonderful, exciting, powerful things will be limited unless we are willing to be transformed and to be changed. Unless we seek, unless our greatest desire is to go deeper in Christ, to become more like him in every area of our lives. And so we bookend the sermon again with a question, can a person really change? I believe, yes, we can. Through God's help and power, yes, we can be transformed into a new person with new values, new behaviors, new attitudes, new actions and thoughts. God can do it. God wants to do it. And God will do it. As we offer ourselves to him. As we say, take my life, Lord, transform it, conform it, shape it, mold it. I offer myself to you. Choose me, change me, transform me for your glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for the example of the Apostle Paul and his honesty and authenticity about the struggle that he had and we have. Was wanting to be one thing and do one thing and doing the exact opposite. Father, we know that in this life we will never completely be free from sin and struggle and temptation. But God, we do believe that your will for us is that we don't stay stuck and frustrated and ineffective for long periods of time. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to have a vision of who you're calling us to be, that you would give us uh, the, the intention to do so, that we would change our priorities and, and make following you our highest priority. And as we do so, Lord, we are confident that will happen because you have given us the means. And you have done for us on the cross what we could not do for ourselves. You've done for us through the resurrection what we could not do for ourselves. And Lord, we believe that you will do for us in our lives what we cannot do for ourselves. You will change us and transform us for your glory. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand for our final song?